Welcome to what is now episode three of Tax Break. I'm Steve Dixon, and I'm here with my colleague, Lauren Pons. We're happy you've joined us for another episode, and we're going to dive right in. On this episode, we're going to return to the beat, a topic we addressed in episode two. This time, we're going to address an aspect in the proposed regulations that were released in December 2019, the taxpayer's ability to forego deductions. So, Steve, so far we focused on whether some transfers of funds constitute base erosion payments, but really that's only part of the story, right? So you can have as many base erosion payments as you want, but there's this thing called the threshold, and that's what really matters. So this 3% or 2% threshold that everyone keeps talking about, what does that mean, and and what can we do to maybe never trip that threshold in the first place? (laughs) Well, in order to in order to trigger the beat, right? In order to count in the the numerator in this three percent three percent calculation, we're just going to use three. I know there's a, I know a two, we know there's we'll a talk, two, but we'll talk about it. we'll just stick with the three. Yes. Um, and so, the, setting aside some other unique circumstances, the taxpayer has so y- what we're measuring are tax base erosion tax benefits. Mm-hmm. Right, which are themselves necessarily they only flow from base erosion tax payments, right. which is what we were just discussing. Um, so, in order to have a tax benefit, the taxpayer has to take a deduction oh. for the base erosion payment. So, the benefit is actually what hits the return. That's what are right. you taking against your U.S. income? That's right. Okay. So, this raises an, an obvious question. So, for a taxpayer that's close to the three percent threshold, can the taxpayer just forego? otherwise deductions that it would otherwise take in order to lower its numerator and stay below the threshold. Um, and so, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> that just sounds very novel to me. I don't know. <laughs> you know, usually you're thinking about all the deductions you can actually take, but the beat we know is so tough on taxpayers that the idea that you forego a deduction being an attractive proposition is kind of a new space to be in, isn't it? I, I think that's right. I think that for the most part, taxpayers are dead set on <laughs> maximizing deductions. I mean, I think there are certain circumstances where they may be indifferent right. to deductions. Mm-hmm. You know, back in back when we had an AMT, there might be reason <laughs> why you might not uh, worry about calculating your deductions. But right. it's it's certainly a novel concept. But the if you are close to the what we would call the cliff, the three percent threshold. Uh, it's entirely reasonable to to start thinking about the relative economic benefits of taking the deduction versus crossing the threshold. Right, and, um, so, and so you talk about this cliff. Can you can you describe that a little bit more? Am I getting ahead of you? <laughs> no, I mean, I, well, I I think that this, this so this cliff means look, either you're above the three percent threshold, in which case you're paying the beat, or you're or you're below the three percent threshold, in which case you are not. And the difference can be significant depending on the size of your your potential beat liability. And foregoing a relatively small deduction is now there are uh, my understanding is that there are, this is not a the notion that you could waive deductions to get out of the beat is irrelevant to some taxpayers. Mm-hmm. They'd be waiving so many deductions right. that it's just not economic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, for taxpayers that are close to the three percent threshold, it does seem likely that they would be in a position to evaluate. And we'll talk a little bit later about the sort of game theory about exactly how you would decide which which <laughs> which deductions you might waive and when you would make that decision. Right, but essentially, you can have one penny push you over into beat liability. That would be that would be a risky strategy. <laughs> but <laughs> well, 
Hence the cliff, right? Hence it the just cliff. takes, a, okay, say a dollar. That's right. Of, of tax. That's right. Um, so there's an argument here that the statute isn't quite so clear about whether you can do this. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is this sort of traditional distinction between allowed deductions and allowable deductions. Right, so right. the way the way this historically cuts out is allowed deductions are the ones that you actually take, yeah. and the IRS lets you take them, and allowable deductions are the ones that you theoretically could take. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, in its first draft, right, that's, well, in its existing draft, the statute actually uses both terms. Right. So it talks about, uh, so if it had unequivocally referred to allowable deductions, then you might decide that this notion of foregoing deductions in order to stay away from the cliff mm -hmm. uh, was a viable option. But uh, so, so there might be an argument that taxpayers could not waive their way out of it. Um, I actually don't, I don't think that argument works for reasons that actually implicate some of the things that we, we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. But first we should, we should note that the section 59A actually uses both terms. So right. both the terms allowed and the term allowable appear in the statute language itself. So would that be uh, ambiguity? One could argue that would be an ambiguity, and okay. and one that one that Treasury then would have a uh, an implicit grant of authority right, to step in and regulate. Opens the door, right, so to speak. Um, but but let's talk for the Let's talk about the possibility that that only that that you have to count all allowable deductions, all possible deductions, whether or in, not actually taken, whether or not actually taken. Okay. I think that's a, I think that's hard to reconcile with the beat and its overalls, uh, overall approach. So, which appears to be, and I think, I think you would agree with this, which appears to be to discourage taxpayers from making a lot of foreign payments for which they can take a deduction. Right, right. That's and the, that's our base erosion. That's our de jure base erosion. Right? That's right. That's right. And it's a it's a narrower notion of base erosion, right? I mean, you can you can picture a broader notion of base erosion that has to do with sort of where your assets are and where your value generating activities are, and this sort of you know bring jobs back to the U.S. kind of notion of base erosion. But it's pretty clear from the way that fifty nine A works that they weren't aimed at that broader notion of base erosion. In fact, what they were they were aimed at was the notion that you're paying foreign affiliates and getting a deduction for right. it. Right. It's a very basic definition of base erosion, very formulaic. Right. Um, and in fact, we see that in particular, one of the places that I think commentators have pointed this out is the notion that payments made, outbound payments made for amortizable or depreciable property that's then brought back to the U.S., is itself treated as a base erosion payment. So the payment for that property is treated as a base erosion payment. And there's an argument under that broader notion of base erosion that, hey, what's the problem with this? You're, yes, you are paying a foreign affiliate, but then you're bringing back an asset that's generating amortization or depreciation deductions because it's doing work in the U.S. Right, right. And because it's actually earning income and generating value here in the U.S., which is something that we ought to want to encourage. But the beat actually sort of takes the opposite tack and says, no, you're just bringing more deductions back to the U.S. We want to 
discourage you from doing so. Right. You're you're importing deductions. Um, and, that, you know, we should note that the final regs did soften that the original rule um, a little bit in response to taxpayers' comments that this was frustrating the purpose of TCJA, which was to bring valuable IP back to the U.S. Right. Um, so there, there's been a softening. But in general, it's true. That's the that's the rationale behind that rule, that a payment includes <laughs> a depreciation or amortization deduction. And, and then also if you think about it in terms of like the broader policy goals. Mm-hmm. So... On the one hand, it's it's one thing to ask taxpayers to radically restructure their operations in order to make sure that there are more payments flowing into the U.S. than there are flowing out of the U.S. That's that, and that's kind of an abstract goal and one that would be hard to hard for many taxpayers to do given their business model. Right, right. This is it's a global world. Like we're not, you know, it's not just. I think a lot of times people think, oh, it's the U.S. and another foreign entity. It's many other foreign entities, and and sometimes the payments are going foreign to foreign, U.S. to foreign, foreign to U.S., but it's not just one-to-one back and forth. That's right. And, And... but what it do, what does seem like a reasonable policy goal, rather than asking taxpayers to sort of restructure all their flows, it does seem like a reasonable policy goal to say, we want to begin to diminish the size and number of deductions that you are taking for payments made to foreign affiliates. That seems like a, a doable and achievable, and frankly, it, when we consider it in the in this context of waiver, a, a sort of a reasonable goal to say, well, yes, you are making a lot of payments to this foreign affiliate, but you could get out of the beat by not deducting all of those Right, by, by paying more regular U.S. tax. That's fine. So it makes more, so I think in the context of the beat, this is all a long way of saying in the context of the beat, I think it makes more sense to, th- to conclude that Congress intended to uh, include only allowed deductions. And now we know after the regs that came out in December of last year, we know that the Treasury basically agrees. They take the position that taxpayers can waive deductions to get below the 3% threshold. Right. And doesn't that make sense when you think about a base erosion tax benefit? So allowable is a universe of deductions, but until you've actually taken that deduction, you haven't enjoyed any benefit. That's right. That's right. So what did they say? They said, uh, and, and they have sort of a, a, a quite a kicker here. They <laughs> say these proposed regs provide that the, a taxpayer may forego a deduction and that these foregone deductions will not be treated as a base erosion tax benefit if the taxpayer waives the deduction for all U.S. federal income tax purposes. And then the, the big kicker at the end of this, so sort of the record scratch moment is Uh-oh. where they say, and follows specified procedures. Oh. So the idea that we're moving from a universe when taxpayers could forego deductions without really saying anything to the IRS about the deductions they were not taking at the time uh, to a place where they are going to have to report the deductions that they're foregoing. So it gives the service a little bit of a peek into the the magnitude of deductions you might have been able to take. And just more information, whereas before, as long as you didn't take it, it wasn't it a matter. number. Yes. It didn't matter. And we all know, I mean, we've all seen this in, in all kinds of circumstances where corporate taxpayers, um, that frankly, they're saving themselves some resources because they realize we've capped out on a particular kind of loss or we're going to be in the AMT anyway, so we don't have to do this 
we don't have to do, do the, the math. sharp pencil math here. <laughs> yeah. We can just say that it doesn't matter. Um, this puts them in a different different posture, especially if they're close to the threshold and relying on this mm-hmm. to, to get them out of it. Um, and in fact, the, the proposed regs go on to provide that the default assumption is that all of the taxpayer's allowable deductions are allowed deductions unless the taxpayer expressly waives to elect them. Wait a minute. So <laughs> isn't that kind of flipping the rule on its head? So you're back in the universe of allowable because I, we're going to assume that everything is allowable and we're going to assume that you take every deduction to which you are entitled. I think that's right. And I think this lays, I think this is this, the way in which they have phrased this proposed regulation and we're still in proposed regulatory form here. Um, is something that taxpayers need to really consider because this seems to me that it's it's worth comment. I mean, there are there there are administrative burdens associated with this, but also it it does flip the conclusion. I mean, if we think that the statute is more consistent with the notion that 59A counts only allowed deductions. Mm-hmm. This says no; it counts all allowable deductions. <laughs> you just need to tell us all the allowable ones so that we can, so, and, and then sort out the ones that you think are allowed from the ones that are just <laughs> merely allowable. Right. And so, do you think Treasury did it this way? They used this this phrasing because of the ambiguity in the statute. This was a way to reconcile the two and and still come out to a place where we're going to expressly say that you can forego allowed deductions, but bring in this concept of allowable. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I, it's, it's, it's tricky to say sort mm-hmm. of what they were thinking here. Yeah, I mean, we don't know. Uh, well, and well, and I mean, look, you know, having, having spent my entire time in the private sector, <laughs> so you can, you can, you can r- respond to this, but uh, you know, I've always thought that, Treasury and and certainly the IRS take the perspective that uh, that information is sort of ready at hand mm-hmm. for taxpayers that there aren't a lot of costs to collecting collecting additional information and that's that's clearly not the case and taxpayers are going to need I think in in commenting on this reg I think taxpayers need to sort of bring that to bear and talk about what it would take to assess the universe of allowable deductions because that that universe of allowable deductions for some taxpayers may be much broader than anything they've ever even considered before right and to the extent that this reg is imposing some kind of additional requirement in order to waive deductions uh, you know the, 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 perhaps there's some way to shortcut that procedure to talk about deductions that you've taken in the past like a history of taking these deductions so yeah. that becomes your allowable universe because what you take is what's actually in practice is actually what's allowable that's not, right not what's possible but what do you do that's right um yeah i think you know treasury certainly has administrability in mind when when writing these rules not only for the government but also for taxpayers i i think um the comments received probably reflect the the reality of the the cost uh, burden the the time you know man hours woman hours to actually get this information, um, and so that's always an important data point for for Treasury to have when it's when it's crafting rules. But you know at this point it's um, it remains to be seen how these will be finalized. But I do I I do think that they take that information in and consider it um, and and take it seriously. Yeah, and one of the things that they they have said expressly, and and one of the concerns that I think is the sort of 
the fulcrum for 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 leveraging this this provision is that uh, is that this concern that taxpayers might waive a deduction in one year and then recover it later by way of some sort of change in method and they're worried about right, right. getting getting whipsawed mm-hmm. um which is a real concern it's a concern it's a concern yeah. um but again it you know it belies our typical tax reporting procedures in in pretty fundamental ways so it might be tempting to sort of that this is a predicament that the taxpayers have brought on themselves, right? To blame to blame <laughs> taxpayers uh, that oh well, you wanted some guidance, and here you are. Here's the guidance. Guess what? Now you've got to tell us all your possible deductions and tell us which ones you're not taking. Um, I think that's not quite fair. I, don't, I I I I wouldn't blame taxpayers in this regard. They just kind of came in with I think a pretty reasonable question that was prompted by. What I mentioned earlier, that the statute uses the terms allowed and allowable, and taxpayers said, well, those are not, those terms do not mean the same, same thing. thing. Right. Which one do you want us to implement? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, so I think that it, it would be unfair to blame taxpayers for this. But at the heart of all of this is the question that I find the most interesting, which is, did, did we need this regulation at all? Did right. we need Treasury to give us a permission slip? to waive deductions. And this goes back to something that we talked about uh, in, in your portion, which is the notion that the beat is a, is a gross basis tax, right? So mm-hmm. you could have two taxpayers with the same economic income, and depending on how much of their payments are made to foreign affiliates and deducted, uh, they could end up paying much more tax than a taxpayer with essentially the same economics overall, but a lower ratio of payments to, to foreign affiliates, right? And and this has to do, obviously, mechanically speaking, and I don't want to bore our listeners with the mechanics, no, but it no. has it has to do with the disallowance of foreign tax credits in, in, in right. computation. Right, so, yeah, at, at first blush, people thought, well, I'm U.S.-parented, I'm... I'm, I'm um, I'm out of these rules. This is really for foreign parented um, companies, U.S. subs, of foreign parented multinationals. The Senate Budget Committee report expressly states that uh, this rule was to target those those um, types of companies. And so, I think at first blush, a lot of U.S. taxpayers were like, "Oh, we don't even have to worry about the beat," you know. And to your point, they could have the same economic income, but because they don't have all these outbound deductible payments and the COGS exception, a lot of U.S. multinationals thought that they wouldn't have any beat liability. Now, um, foreign tax credit clawback changes that landscape significantly. So, so I mean, and, and it seems to me like this is a place where the rubber really meets the road. So we always hear in litigation, right, that every time there's a <laughs> deduction that's at issue, uh, the, the government likes to say that, that uh, deductions are a matter Better. of legislative grace <laughs> so <laughs> right uh, so, so if they are genuinely a matter of legislative grace then it ought to be up to the, the taxpayer to decide whether or not to avail themselves of that of said grace of said grace <laughs> right yeah so uh if that's the case why do why do we need a regulation at all so another pr- problem here is, is not just that the does the reg need to exist at all but there's also this weird sort of liability for missed deductions. Is it possible that the IRS is in a in a bizarre role reversal? The IRS is coming in for taxpayers who are close to the threshold and looking for uh, deductions that the taxpayer should have waived in order to stay below the threshold, but did not. 
because they missed it. Um, it, it would be a it would be a, a really strange scenario. Right, but um, in your earlier example of of having kind of evidence of a pattern of taking deductions, this could work against the taxpayer if that becomes the standard instead of a full audit of the universe of allowable deductions and then which ones did you actually take. If we look at past activity and taxpayer X has taken deduction Y for the last 10 years, somehow they miss it in year 11, perhaps the service could come in and say, we're going to make you take this deduction because you always have and that's our test instead of this let's look at the universe and let's look at what you haven't taken is that a possibility I think it's entirely a possibility I don't I don't know if they say we'll make you take it but they will say we're going to count it against you in computing your beat liability mm -hmm. right so it could be a sort of uh, uh, a, a a double jeopardy, if you will. <laughs> well, you know, this is interesting because in another context, there have been uh, public statements by IRS officials talking about where in the range, in the interquartile range, taxpayers might find themselves. And in situations where the U.S. position was one where they didn't care that you were at the low end of the range, now they might push you up just for purposes of forcing taxpayers into the beat. Right, right. Which is another perverse result. <laughs> um, so I do want to talk a little bit about sort of the, because I think the an interesting part here is, suppose you're close to the threshold. Mm -hmm. How and when do you decide which deductions to waive? So there there are, the, the proposed regs actually provide taxpayers with a pretty decent I'd say generous window mm -hmm. for deciding whether or not to waive. So you don't have to do it on your original return. You can do so on your original return. You can decide to not take particular deductions. Um, but you could also do so by way of an amended return or even during examination. Um, one thing I wanted to note here is mm -hmm. that the, so the preamble uh, contemplates the same procedures that generally apply to affirmative tax return changes during an examination will apply here. So, so you can wait until examination, um, but but as we know now, there's new LBNI procedures. So if you want to make a, an informal claim or some informal change mm -hmm. to your to your return position, uh, exam requires you to do so within 30 days of the opening conference. So I, I actually think that that's something that taxpayers are going to need to to test um, because I think that as the examination proceeds your calculation of what you need to get below that 3% threshold ought to change. Will change, yeah. And so uh, I think that there's going to need, there, there will have to be a back and forth with exam and the taxpayer in terms of if you disallow particular deductions or if particular deductions are in dispute, um, where, where, what do I need to waive to get below the 3% threshold, assuming I'm, I'm close? That sounds like a lot of sharp pencil math. It does, and I and I do think there's some um, there's some game theory here too, right? So you, uh, how much do you tell the IRS about what you want to do to get under the three percent threshold, mm -hmm. and what does waiving those deductions mean for financial reporting purposes? Mm -hmm. 
um, for your tax reserves. I think there are a lot of issues in play. I think it's be really hard for taxpayers to manage this. However, I think that if you are close to the three percent threshold, it's probably worth it's spending worth yeah. spending a lot of money on pencil sharpeners <laughs> and um, pencils and pencils. <laughs> Uh, one thing that taxpayers can't do uh, during exam is retract a deduction waiver. So that so the IRS wants this to be sort of a strict lie. You waive it, and it's <laughs> it's gone forever, um, which I think makes gives taxpayers an incentive to wait as long as possible to waive deductions and to not be overeager on their return. Um, I I think this there there are, there's a possibility that this. Um, has implications for cap ta different implications for cap taxpayers mm -hmm. than it has for taxpayers and under normal audit cycles um and i think that there's also going to be sort of a um, margin of error so taxpayers as we know sort of the ultimate liability and the total deductions is, is a is a constantly moving target right so how safe is safe how how are you sure that you're below that three percent threshold uh, how close are you willing to cut it? So, yes. Well, I, you know, knowing what I know about taxpayers and, and their transfer pricing <laughs> when they're not sure throughout the taxable year what is actually going. Like, it's a constant adjustment. So I can't imagine that, you know, you have – we have some taxpayers who have told us they are – they have beat monitors, right? And so they're constantly paying attention to these outbound deductible payments. But if your transfer pricing isn't necessarily set in stone – one might imagine that the number of actual outbound payments might not change, but the quantum of those payments taken together probably does change throughout the year. And I would imagine that there are lots of taxpayers who are reevaluating <laughs> their transfer pricing right. in light of the beat. Although exactly. I know that I know the IRS has come out and said some things that they expect taxpayers not to do that sort of thing, although they have built a, a massive and very formalistic apparatus here <laughs> to penalize taxpayers who who don't do just that. Right, right. So, you know, you're, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. That's right. That's right. So uh, those are our thoughts on on the new uh, beat regulations, proposed and and final. Uh, so we have opened up uh, an email address. It's we have. podcasts at milchev.com. That's podcasts, plural, at M-I-L-C-H-E-V.com. We welcome your feedback, especially praise. Uh, we, also, <laughs> we also welcome the opportunity to talk about topics that, uh, that you think are interesting. Uh, and certainly we, we, have, we have some future topics slated, and we'd like to have some, some guests, some guests from the firm, and, and I hope some guests from, from outside the firm. Yes, so if you, you would like to be a guest or you have topic ideas or you want us to clarify something we've said here or want to offer us a prompt to respond to, we are happy to do it. Um, so use the email address. Write us. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Steve.